This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Patrick serves up the hardest-hitting podcast in tennis with news, politics, and insights you won't find anywhere else. Here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, Patrick McEnroe here. Welcome back, everyone, to Holding Court Season 4. And as I've told you before, uh, three main topics I'm getting into in Season 4. First one, of course, is what's going on in the world of tennis, professional tennis. But we might dive into collegiate tennis and junior tennis as we move along. Of course, the other topic that I'm always interested in is the intersection between sports and politics, which fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, seems to happen more and more these days. And then the third topic um, is, is very important to me. And I've been tracking this woman down for quite some time. And she's absolutely the perfect person to have on as I kick off season four in the mental health department. And she is a mental performance coach. Her name is Alexis Castori. She's worked with numerous top athletes in the professional sports world, mostly tennis and golf, but all sports. And she does a lot of work with junior players as well. And I appreciate you, Alexis. You have a very busy schedule, making some time to join me here on Holding Court. Welcome. Pleasure to be here, Patrick. Thanks for the invite. I love what we're going to talk about because it's it's become more and more important um, in in junior tennis, which of course I'm involved with in pro tennis, and we've seen more professional athletes, particularly in the last few years, I'd say particularly in women's tennis, um, be willing to discuss this openly and and maybe not matter of factly, but just put it out there a lot more. So, Alexis, you've been in this world for a long time before it became something that was discussed openly uh, by, by players. And how have you seen that evolve in your years working in this field? I think the main thing that I've seen evolve is back in the day, and I'm talking 15, 20 years ago, a certain subset of parents and a few pros simply thought of mental health as mental, having a mental edge in the sport, which was very intuitive of them. In other words, you didn't need to think something is wrong with me or lacking in me in order to reach out to a mental performance coach. They saw it more as I'm doing everything else with my physio, obviously my tennis coach, everything else that I'm doing. However, the mind is another potential weapon. Why don't I have a coach that specifically targeted to help me improve in that area. So that's where I began, if that makes sense. When the, when folks reached out to me, they had that insight. They saw it as an add-on and simply as a matter of coaching. Since then, and, you know, there could be lots of reasons we could talk about, you know, the parents who call me now, and, you know, today we're going to focus on, you know, juniors. And the, the pros still call me because they recognize they need an edge. And the world has been very different, as we all know, for the past three years. So I actually do think that has affected, you know, kids who stayed home, uh, pros' travel schedule. You know, a lot of the Australians weren't able to go home for a full year. Um, that affected them. When they went home, they had to be quarantined for 30 days in a hotel, you know, small things that seem small, but it, I saw it actually affect players' mental health. So I guess the answer is now parents are calling or reaching out 
um, because yes, they want to see if there can be improvement there. Um, and then also there's the, what edge do we need? Because, you know, my child is trying to build a resume potentially for college tennis. So then some of the just regular reasons that are surfacing, if that makes sense. No, it, it makes total sense. And obviously now in the years that I've been uh, at our tennis academy here in New York City, working with a lot of juniors and uh, my own daughter's been uh, a junior, a competitive junior player. So I've been running around. So I, I feel like I've learned a lot uh, just myself because certainly these were things, you know, back in my day, um, growing up in, in a high level of junior tennis and then playing the pros, it wasn't, it wasn't something that uh, was at the top of the list. I mean, you know, just a whole, and I want to get your thoughts, just kind of take a step back even, you know, when you first got into this world, because it, it was often seen that, oh, this guy's mentally not tough, or, you know, this guy's going to crack. And, you know, it, it was almost like we, I mean, if I had talked about this with my parents, I mean, they would have looked at me like I was like I was crazy. Um, right. So I, I guess I just just the way it's evolved and sort of how it's even become okay to talk about that, to talk about having your own mental issues and trying to improve that as a player. Because you know, back in my days, like, oh, this guy's soft. You know, he's gonna he's gonna fold under pressure. So how is that in in your view as a professional evolved for? you know, for, for parents, obviously, as you said, trying to get their kids in college, but really for the, for the players themselves. I think it's evolved because in my particular case, you know, some of my pro clients, you know, have gone public with the fact that they've worked with me. Others have who worked with other people over the past five or 10 years, even before the pandemic, people were beginning certain pros were very open about it. And, you know, parents follow what the pros do. So if these were people that were, you know, top 10, top 20, and saying that they had hired or worked with a mental coach, that's what I think changed the perspective. 20 years ago, if a pro came to me, it was going to be silent. There wasn't going to be any media about it. Uh, they kept it private. That was their choice. I don't really know who started. A few of my pros, yes, in the past 10 years were, you know, kind enough to talk to the media. I worked with this person. I think it really helped. And then I started seeing parents go, oh, all right, so this doesn't, I don't need to think of my child as having a deficit. This can actually assist them in the, you know, the broader learning of the sport, not only just handling pressure, but maybe understanding the game a bit better, which I'd love to get into because when people think mental health, they think, you know, I can't handle pressure is the only thing going on. Well, this is, uh, by the way, it's Alexis Castori uh, joining me here on Holding Court. And the beauty of the podcast, Alexis, we can go wherever we want. Okay, so okay. go there. You, you let go wherever you want to go. I'm here to learn from you. And, I, and obviously, I know uh, people that listen to my podcast are going to be riveted by what you have to say. So please, just you, you, you go where you want to go. All right. So here's a, a synopsis of what I first talked to parents about before you know, they ever put their junior on the phone because I want them to know my philosophy, we'll say. I, I approach this as a topic that I'm going to teach them. So my definition of a tennis match, you know, broadly speaking, is a two, two-and-a-half, potentially three-hour problem-solving event happening within chaos. And I let that sink in a bit. Because that means that the person who's going to be successful is going to have skill sets that match that a problem solving event. You may end the match never having solved the problem, 
But your job is to continue to try to do that. At the same time, when I say chaotic, it's not like archery where I'm just aiming the target and if I miss, I reset. There is a live opponent trying to derail you. And again, this is not something people go, oh, I never knew that, but they don't really take into account when they call me saying my child has this problem or not. I go, are you aware, unless you competed yourself, which you did, Patrick, are you aware what's actually going on out there? Physical balance, there is uh, learning the court. Another way that I like to introduce what tennis is, is tennis is chess, geometry, and physics. Chess because if you're with the right coach, he or she is going to be teaching you, you know, normally when you hit it there, the likely response is they're going to return it there. So you're learning one or two moves ahead to anticipate. It's physics because if you understand what the spin rate of the ball, you know, I have kids who are afraid to hit out on the ball, you know, when the point pressure comes. I said, do you understand that the safest thing you can do from a physics point of view, if you've been taught to hit with shape, is to put maximum spin on the ball? What happens when you do that? And they think about it and they go, oh, yeah, it pops up, and then it's more likely to drop in the court. I go, correct. So our bodies think, I'm going to swing less hard, wrong answer, or I'm going to flatten it out. I go, well, potentially, but more error rate if you've been taught. So there's a basic understanding of physics that I like to teach. And the third is geometry, which everybody understands is the you know angles, learning how to really appreciate the angles on the court and what makes them difficult for an opponent. So I'm not suggesting that coaches aren't teaching this, but the majority of my junior clients, Patrick, are all, for whatever reason, they're A students in school, which means they're mm-hmm. you know, academically inclined. They learn as a subject. So I start teaching them as a subject. That's a comfortable place for them to start. Uh, where they start having difficulties is, again, in school, you don't have an opponent. The most pressure that they ever face in school is the time pressure of a test. I say, okay, now understand the reason you sometimes you're getting frustrated out on the court is you don't have any other area of your life where you're experiencing someone else trying to derail you while you're trying to accomplish something. So since this is going to be the first endeavor in your life, then you need to show some patience and forbearance for that. Because you can't just pretend, you know, 12-year-olds will, you know, ask me, they got it back. And I'm really frustrated by that. I go, what did you think the opponent's job was? It wasn't that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. You, you'd be surprised. Remember, young minds are learning logic here a little bit. So I like to cover the basics. So when parents say they're having trouble handling pressure, I go, I don't know if that's one way to look at it. Or have we not really taught them what's actually going on out there? It would be a little bit less the unknown if they have an idea of what to expect. And then we can begin to teach them how to handle it, if that makes any sense. No, and I love it. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. But this is what I want to ask you in response to that, because it's all, it's fascinating. And you're right, um, you know, just my experience at our, at our academy working with kids of, of all different levels, right? But my the thing that's always hard for me as someone who was a professional player and most of the kids that 
we work with at our academy are not going to be professional players or, you know, some of them are you know, high quality junior players and will go off and play division one tennis. How do you deal with the, the, the reality as I see it, which that, you know, some kids just don't, don't have the genetic ability to be as good as their friend, right. Or, or the other kids at the academy or the kid, you know, they go to a tournament and they do all the, the right things, Alexis, they, they try hard. They, you know, they understand the physics, the geometry, the chess, but the other players just better in your work as a mental performance coach. How do you deal with that with children? And then with the parents as well, who, who obviously many of them have probably expectations, which are not realistic. Correct. So I call that my reality speech. Again, I do a lot of intake with parents before the junior ever gets on the phone. And I explain to them, depending on the age of the child they bring to me, at 12 years old, and you know this, Patrick, everybody wants to be a pro. That's their dream. By 14, they are, you know, in that, in their mindset, you know, beginning to want to be a pro. And I'm already looking at my ranking. At 16, it turns into college rankings who's contacting me. So I expressly tell parents, your child's dream at 12. By the time they're 17, there's a beautiful thing that happens. And I'd love for you to be on the supportive side of this. At 17, most kids on their own do whatever they need to do in their minds to recognize, all right, if I'm not already for some reason out there playing the occasional futures as a wild card, I'm probably heading to college. And remember, now these are eight students, and I tell them, yes, your journey was probably always going to be that you're going to make money, you know, down the road with your mind. And any moment you spent in this tennis world is going to assist you. Let's talk about everything you've gained, whether you only ended up being ranked, you know, 250 in the country. You've learned time management. You've learned tremendous skills with adversity. And the funny thing is, and this is where my longevity in the sport helps, I go 99% of my players end up on Wall Street or running com- companies. Why is that? They're the first hires. Nobody asks them, you know, what were you ranked? Nobody says, what line did you play at your college? They look right. down and say, student athlete, and they know several things. You are a great time manager at 12 years old and other kids were at the mall or doing fun video games and there's nothing wrong with video games, but you were out there in public having to face losses to your buddies. So that already tells us we want you. And when they start hearing that and the parents hear that, they recognize this journey has always been more important than what my ranking ends up being at a certain age. It's a process. Some parents get it right away. Some already know up front that, you know, my child, our goal here in this family is to build a resume for a university, but we're going to choose the university mainly as an academic fit. And secondarily, you know, it's great that they have a tennis team. It's always good to keep busy. It depends on the families. 99.9% of my juniors are not trying to be pros. They are in fact headed for college. Well, those are those are serious words of wisdom, and I appreciate it. Alexis Castori joining me on Holding Court. We're going to take a little quick break here. When we come back, okay. I want to get I want to hear you talk a little bit about in your last ten years that three of your pros that you've worked with have won six majors. So I want you to talk a little bit about that when we come back on Holding Court. 
North Organic CBD is a new sponsor of Holding Court. I love their CBD gummies. They come in two delicious flavors, strawberry lemonade and green apple. I've had them both, both amazing. One a day, and you're totally okay. I like to stay active. I like to keep playing tennis. I like to get in the gym. That's why I love North Organic CBD. Their products are made in the USA. They're high quality. They're specially formulated, broad-spectrum organic CBD products for everyday adventurers. Don't forget about the very popular CBD salve from North Organics. Immediate relief of any physical pain. I use it daily for my sore shoulders, sore knees, hips, you name it. It works wonders. Go to NorthOrganicCBD.com and enter Patrick20, that's Patrick20, for 20% off your order. The Johnny Mac Tennis Project transforms young lives. By removing the economic, racial, and social barriers to success through tennis. JMTP provides tennis as a vehicle for greater life opportunity. The programming provides a pathway to success through competitive tennis, leading to increased health and fitness, college scholarships, and incredible career opportunities. JMTP introduces tennis to thousands of underserved New York children every week. To date, the Johnny Mac Tennis Project has reached over 10,000 students through its community programs, providing 462 individual scholarships, totaling over $8.6 million, and 32 of its scholarship recipients have gone on to receive college scholarships through tennis. For more info, go to jmtpny.org. I can't wait to hit the court after school. All right, welcome back to Holding Court and really enjoying this discussion here with Alexis Castori, a mental performance coach who uh, has just uh, educated us on her work with junior players specifically. But I want to talk to you a little bit, Alexis, about a couple of the pros you've worked with. Uh, Simona Halep, she's been uh, someone that, talked a lot about her journey, you know, to becoming a great player and then becoming uh, someone working on her mental health and her mental performance. Andy Murray, of course, one of the legends of the game as well. So if you could maybe start with Simona and, uh, you know, obviously, actually, I met you through Darren Cahill, who was her coach at the time, who, of course, is my longtime colleague at ESPN. But maybe just talk a little bit about how that got started and then what sort of, you know, whatever you can talk about publicly, what sort of work you did with her um, that helped her in her journey? You're correct. Darren Cahill is the team that I worked with. I worked with Simona during the entire time that Darren was with Simona. When he departed, I departed. She moved on and working with a different coach. Her journey was very similar to Andy's, and this is funny because even my current pros that I'm working with that I'm not at liberty to say who they are, it's funny because, you know, once they hire me and, you know, we know what their individual goals are, at one point they say, when am I going to win a Grand Slam? And I laugh and I say, probably when you <laughs> stop talking about it. And they go, what do you mean? I go, because even at your level, it's still about development of the game. You know, what are the three areas that your coach and you know that you still need to improve or that you're working on? And they'll tell me what it is. I go, okay. So if you're in this it, with a singular focus, when am I going to – I can't tell you when you're going to win. Maybe take the focus and put it back on not 
this particular tournament versus that particular tournament because so many of the things that we are, you're going to be facing are out of your control. Let's go back to the basics of what I teach the juniors. Now, this is funny. They're like, why? I go, because it's still one point at a time, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, that's true. Isn't it given 100% of your engagement and energy and physicality? Yes. Okay. And then do we control who the opponent is or what their game level is on any given day? No. Right. <laughs> right. So, so let's just make you sharper by returning to the roots of tennis. You're going to improve your focus. I'm going to give you techniques or teach you or share with you some techniques to help you stay centered in those moments out there. And even you could improve in that area. So that's what I did with Simona and with Andy and probably every pro. I just start them like we're going to start at the beginning again. And I don't, you know, you can share with me what your goals are, but they don't mean as much to me. And I would suggest that you take a different perspective. Getting into the when, top 10, you know, there's this other phenomena, you know, when you're outside of the top, I want to get to the top 10. I go, okay, are you sure? As a joke. Because then when you get into the top 10, what do you think your concerns are going to be now? Staying in right. the top 10. <laughs> right. Into the top right. five. We, right. right. Right, right. And Lendl yeah. taught me a very, who he was my first client, a very important thing. He didn't realize it, of course, until he became number one. He said, oh, so this coveted position now everyone's after me. So we need to work on that. I go, correct. <laughs> there is something that you're going to have to work on and dig in no matter what level you are. And that makes sense. Uh, it makes total sense. And you mentioned Yvonne Lendl, and I've had him on the podcast too, and he's tremendous, obviously longtime rival of my big brother. But I uh, love him, and you know he helped me when I was at the USTA for a bit and he's he you know they, i'll tell you this quick story about lendl i'm sure you won't be surprised alexis but when he he first started getting into coaching he actually came to boca where our usta training center was for the years that i was there and he literally just w would come and observe like he actually wanted to learn how to be a coach and trust me when I tell you, I don't, I don't need to tell you this, but, you know, most former players, particularly former great players, think that they know everything or they don't need to, you know, become a coach. But he actually wanted to learn uh, and would come to our workshops and things like this for, you know, new coaches that we had just hired. So uh, I'm not surprised. How did he come to you initially? How did that happen? Believe it or not, it was the family, when he was a junior, coming to play the Orange Bowl year after year. He stayed with a South Florida family. I just happened to know that family informally, socially. So one day that woman called up and said, hey, um, would you like to meet Yvonne Lendl? He was number two in the world at that time, and he is intrigued about mental coaching. I said, yeah, sure. I wasn't really following tennis. You know, this is probably 30 years ago. I used to be a player, but it wasn't like I was pinned to the TV. We went out to dinner. He asked me some fascinating questions, and a month later, he called and said, would you work with me? So out of nowhere, I would never do this again. It was kind of funny. I said, on one condition, that you do absolutely everything that I give you to do, and I'll make a bet with you. It was six months away from his first Grand Slam. If you end up winning the Grand Slam, by the way, he beat your brother. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, don't, don't remind my brother <laughs> that French Open final. Yeah. If you win, you don't owe me anything. If I win, you have to pay me 500 bucks, you know, 500 bucks 30 years <laughs> right. ago. 
because he told me he loved betting, meaning when he was playing, he felt that that was another way to sharpen his focus. So by, by, one by the way, just, that- let, let me just let me just correct you real quick, Alexis, because I'm intrigued by this story. It was 40 years ago. Okay, because Lendl's oh my, my brother's okay. age. Yeah, so it's 40 years because they were early 20s. Lendl was in when he beat won his first major. So go on. So one day before that expiration date, you know, he held up the trophy, and so th- that was his particular journey. Now here's the funny thing about Yvonne. If I would tell him I would like for you to do this technique three times a day in front of a mirror, whatever it was I gave him, he would come back and say, "Was it okay if I did 20 of them?" Okay, now that is the response of a champion always pushing right. himself beyond what anybody, any coach would give him. Right. So that's something that, you know, I try to tell juniors that you're, you know, doing what your coach wants you to do. Has it occurred to you to go beyond that? No, I thought I was completing it. Like, well, yes, you are just sharing with you what top players do. They're never satisfied. They just simply are not satisfied. I don't know if I'm answering your question or just sharing a funny Lendl story. Actually, both, which is why I love having you on. And I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation with Alexis Castori joining me here on Holding Court. And uh, I want to I just ask you a little bit more about Andy Murray because I love Andy. And, and, you know, I remember actually just recently at the Labor Cup, which I was lucky enough to be at with my brother, who's the captain. I'm the vice captain of the team. Murray came and played, you know, and he's obviously not the player that he was um, because of the hip. It's amazing. He's doing what he's doing. The Australian Open was was awesome to watch him. Incredible. But anyway, um, we were all at the after party and our team, you know, finally won. It was a miracle. Team World won. But it was just a great event that the big four were there. And I just remember the last thing I, as I left the party, both teams were there. I just saw Andy and I, I just looked him in the eye. I said, you know, Andy, you're just a class act. And, and that's really what I think is, you know, he's done so much for the sport, for women's rights, for, uh, you know, so many things, donating his money to the people of Ukraine. But let me ask you this, because he came, I mean, this guy had to go up against the greatest players of all time, right, to try to, to win his majors, Correct. which he eventually did. So what was Correct. it like work, working with him to, to kind of deal with that and deal with what was such a monumental challenge for him to be able to win those three majors and the Olympic gold as well. Well, on that team, I would actually say that I was a, I was a secondary assistant. Yvonne, who was his coach, brought me on the team. So first time that I worked with Yvonne, where he's the coach working with the pro in my estimation, it was Yvonne's presence that helped Andy the most. I helped Andy you know, we had a lot of long talks, very fascinating, intelligent, very sensitive young man. And by sensitive, I mean high awareness level. And sometimes when you have high awareness level, you do need to learn how to manage that. Um, because, you know, again, in a two and a half hour chaotic problem solving event, and sometimes, you know, we would see Andy react emotionally. And, you know, I understood that was not him. He may have looked like bratty behavior. He was trying to expunge all that excess emotion that he had so he could go back and play the next point. So with Andy, it was more him understanding that is something that is peculiar to you. It's okay as long as we get back on track for the next point. So I would say credit to Yvonne and his presence 
you know, Vaughn would sit stoically in the player's box. I'm sure you saw that in TV, you know, when, when Andy was playing, no facial expression. But what that did for Andy is give him a sense of strength. It's like looking at the mountain, right? Just looking at the mountain, knowing that it's there, which means nothing bad is happening, you can prevail. And then the rest was me, hopefully, and I think I did, help Andy understand that his particular gift, mentally and emotionally, which is different than others, was still something that a champion has. You know, everybody likes to think, you know, there's one kind of champion. I said, how is that possible? They all have different personalities, right? You have to work with the personality that you're given and find out if there's any part of that that is, in fact, holding them back. And maybe it's a small tweak. So Andy, very different than Simona, right? Both incredible people. Simona, very intelligent, also very aware, but yet different than Andy. Let me ask you just two more things, because I want to respect your time. You've been great to uh, agree to come on. And, and this is what you you talk to people for a living. So I appreciate you doing this because uh, I asked you to do it. So, but I just want to ask you two things. One, the first thing is, based on what you just told me about, about Lendl and the crowd, I mean, one of the things that's become normal in, in these, you know, covering these big tournaments as I do is the coaches or the coaching box, right? We always focus on the box and, you know, the coach going crazy. Now coaching's legal. So, you you know, there was the issue with the Rubacana at the Australian Open, you know, the coach sort of yelling at her. Right. What, what are you as a mental performance coach thinking when you see things like that happen in these big tournaments? What do I think? about when a coach is getting overexcited and having open conversations now that it's allowed? Is that the question? I want to make sure I'm answering the correct question. Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it is a change in the sport. To be honest, I'm still getting used to it. I can't say I like it or don't like it, uh, but if you're asking it as a mental health question, you know, if that's what the player needs and the coach intuits that versus the coach having their own issue with emotional self-control, right? Because that can happen okay. as well, yep. right? I've had pro coaches that the players tell me every time I look over there, they look angry. So then I have to go to the coaches and say, hey, could you plaster a smile on your face? Because your <laughs> particular player is sensitive to that, right? Other players don't look at the box or they don't really care. They're very inside of themselves. So I don't know how to answer that because I didn't know it. I didn't see that specific scenario that you're talking about i don't know the coach was that the coach trying to help the player because they knew what the player needed or was that the coach themselves having an emotional moment that they did not know how to manage all right the last thing i want to ask you it's not even a question it's just for you because you've given so much incredible insight particularly for juniors and for parents so what would be your message that you want to give to those, those people listening out there as to what's important for the development of their children playing a, a, a sport like tennis? I would say to the parents, broaden your perspective. Understand up front, as you've mentioned, Patrick, there's no guarantee your child is going to reach whatever goals you and they have set. There is nothing going to be lost regardless of where they end up because it is a sport all sports, especially individual sports, is going to develop the human. And I just keep stressing that. Again, this is going to be, think of this as a personal development program that happens to be something physical, unlike his or her academic journey, 
that's simply going to result, regardless of ranking or where they end up playing at college, as an incredible self-development program, mentally and emotionally. I just keep harping on that. And if pa- parents will sometimes say, yes, yes, they understand, but, you know, at the end of the day, they want the best for their child. And I go, yes, and the best for your child would be excellent mental and emotional development, which has nothing to do with the ranking they end up with. So that's my, you know, my sermon, I guess. That's your, that's your two cents, and that's worth a lot. And I appreciate it, and I appreciate you giving me all this time and uh, insight. And I'm pretty sure that uh, the listeners of Holding Court are going to appreciate it as well. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Alexis Castori, everyone, on Holding Court. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to and share Holding Court. Holding Court is powered by Mudhouse Media.